Hello and welcome to The Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about movies with creatives. This is episode 29, Podcasts in a Half Shell. Joining me today to talk about the 1990 action, crime, comedy, sci-fi is film producer and dear old pal of mine, Richard Wallace King. Welcome, Rich. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Wow, Rich. So good to have you. We've been building up to this for, you know, years. Long time. We've been roommates together now uh, multiple times in multiple cities. Time zones as well, yeah. Which is crazy. And also cool. We, we get along. And we're still friends. Yeah. We still seek each other's company. And um, we made it this far, so I think we're... We're lifers. This has been half my life so far, so. Yes, we met in 2004. We talk about this in our King of Producing episode, where Rich King is a producer. And I believe I'll be putting that one first or second. So this will either be after you heard that one or before. So that <laughs> <laughs> covers the bases. The options are basically limitless as long as it's those two. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, uh, I went and saw the new Turtles movie, which just opened. It's going into its second weekend. Had a domestic cum of $28 million, which is good at its budget category. It's going into its second weekend. We'll see how things are doing. And I came home and watched the 1990 classic, which I saw in 1990 in the theater. And I believe it was the second movie I saw in the theater that I remember. And I think maybe total. I remember seeing Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying the tape in the gift shop of the soundtrack. Yeah. And listening to it in the car for years. If Dad's picking us up, that's blasting. Nice. The whole way. And then this movie. Although I believe I also saw Dick Tracy. Because I remember seeing that in the theater and it scared me. I think that was also 1990, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 1990. So, shoot. Which one was first? (laughs) Anyway, it was one of my first formative experiences. And I remember basically my brother and I, who was four at the time, Johnny, and I was six, being asked, do we want to see Back to the Future 3 or Turtles? And we were like, Turtles! I don't remember if we had already been watching the show. I feel like I mean, maybe we already had been watching the show, but it, it was an easy call for us. But then later we came back to the future fans down the, down the road. Although seeing three first might have been weird. Although it's a Western and kind of on its own hind legs. Well, I reached out to you and was like, dude, we got to do the episode. And I just saw, I thought of you seeing Turtles because I know you're a big fan. And then you said, let's do it. And here we are. So pumped. What was your first exposure to this cinematic masterpiece? So I, I I don't have a memory of seeing it in the theater, so I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it would have been on the VHS tape, um, which I uh, did some research, came out in like October or September, uh, which seems pretty quick for a VHS release back in that time, like to, to be in the theaters in March and then have a, a VHS turned around within, you know, six months. Um, I probably got the tape for Christmas and then probably watched it uh, nonstop for several months. Like, would watch it in my parents' bedroom and would use their king-size bed to jump up and do kicks and flips and all that kind of stuff. Like, really, really enjoyed it. I was yeah. also a big fan of the... I was a fan of the uh, cartoon show, which uh, they started in 87, so I would have seen that, you know, it would have been five, five or six by the time I, I saw that. Um, just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I was, I was a fan of everything Turtles. Um... You know, it was just, it was, it was kooky. It was wild. It was wacky. Um, so that, that's, that was kind of like, yeah, I, I just, but I was a diehard. Um, and then, you know, loved the second movie as well. 
Um, I don't Secret rem- of the Ooze. Secret of the Ooze. I don't remember being a fan of the third one. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, like, I, I saw it years later, but I don't remember. Like, I've watched one and two a lot. Yeah. Yeah. One and two were, were on, I mean, through um, college. Like, I was watching on, I had a, an old CRT in television with a built-in uh, VHS player, and I would watch my tapes from when I was, you know, I still have the original tapes that, that I got. <laughs> I still have those. Yes, Rich actually brought <laughs> his VHS player, and we were trying to hook it up into my projector, and we got the audio to play, but we couldn't, for whatever reason, figure out the visual. But we were sitting here, and we took a little break. And we ate a Domino's pizza, which is very fitting. And there's Domino's throughout the piece. That's right. Although later, I guess, um, Pizza Hut did a campaign. The product tie-in was through Pizza Hut, even though the product even placement was, in the movie was Domino's. <laughs> right. So there you go. I, I literally I did the same thing the other day when I watched the new one. And just watching them eat the pizza in the movie, even though it was yep. an animated pizza. Sure. I wanted it so badly. Yep. And then got, got a Domino's pizza and wolfed it down. Got a pan. And just ate the entire thing in one go, which I rarely do, even with a pan. You know, it's not quite a large, but the pans there, the deep dish, it's thick. There was a there's a deal of Domino's for five toppings, one being extra cheese. Oh my god, it might have been the best pizza yet. Yeah, we uh, we just had a Brooklyn style, but there was a deal for the pan. I feel like a pan's not quite big enough for two people that are really hungry. Maybe if like moderately hungry, we could do it. But like I said, I literally ate the whole thing myself the other day. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, provide for us to fuel our our podcasting endeavor. Here it is. So I wanted to get an extra large. It was a deal. But yeah, it was, it was a pan pizza. Well done. And extra cheese. Onions. Sausage. Pepperoni. And green pepper. Mm. Or jalapeno pepper. Mm. And my God. It was so good. It was so <laughs> good. And then was watching... Basically, only made it through the opening of of the 1991 before I finished it. It was like, oh, I'll eat pizza throughout the whole movie. I was like the opening credits, and then you know, with the part where they're going down the sewer, and next thing I know, the pizza's gone. But it was so nice to have it while they had it, and they talked about it, and there's references. I'm not sure how the pizza thing came about. I, I do you know. I think it was. Um, I think it was added for the TV show for the cartoon. Okay. I, I don't know as why. That's the kind of thing they were. Well, <clears throat> I know they were they're teenagers. They're teen. Yes. It's the T. It's the first word in the, in the quad, quartet. Quartet? <laughs> of the four words. <laughs> uh, so I think maybe that was something they could channel to give them a, a teenager thing. I guess so, but they definitely feel like young teenagers, right? They feel like 13. Yeah. They just barely like they just became teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I was I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know. They're not nineteen, like waiting to be twenty. No, definitely not. Um, we can't so vote. I can't drive. Like none of that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure that I liked pizza as a young child, but I feel like whatever massive obsession I would later gain for pizza probably derived from the turtles. I, I don't. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah, it absolutely was a thing. And especially like in the in the second movie, which we're not talking about today, um, the whole opening credits is just people eating pizza, just like giant slices, New York slices, and like everyone's eating pizza. Yeah, um, gotta watch too soon. It's been a minute. That ooze, man. There's a secret. That's a secret. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the pizza. The ooze is the cheese. Um, it's a double entendre. You see. Yeah, that uh, I, I was watching some video uh, in preparation for this and found out that that original. 
uh, theme song that Teenage Mutant was written by Chuck Lorre. Two and a half men and uh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory and, yeah. uh, I guess he was a musician for a while. Yeah, he was like he was like a traveling not traveling. He was like a, a like a like a busking musician, like looking to sell his sell his musical wares. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the things he got hired to do. That's crazy. <laughs> that's a fact, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's all actually the, his voice. All the little like one liners. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually you turned me onto it. I just watched it today. It's uh, The Toys That Made Us. The Toys That Made Us. I believe it's season three, episode one. And now I gotta watch them all. That was the only one I'd seen. <laughs> I've, I'd seen how, um, sorry, the the movies I made. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. It actually really walks you through the franchise as a whole, like Turtles as a as a brand, as a as a whole thing. And so, yeah, it was really really good. I wrote I wrote some notes, and I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I mean, I knew it was a series before it was a movie, but I mean, I was only six when the movie came out, and I I must have watched the show before the movie because I know I was watching a lot of TV back then. It was just, you know, it was the ubiquity of Saturday morning cartoons. It was on at least once. Um, and it was, you know, it was entertaining. I, I, I rewatched it with my nephew several years ago, but it's like, it held his attention. And I mean, it's just, it's, it, it was entertaining. There was nothing spectacular about the animation. It was just like the silliness of it, sort of, yeah. you know. I don't know. It was, it was very good for, for a six-year-old, seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I watched it over and over. I would be like, oh, this is the racking episode. You know, I knew, right. I knew the episode within the first... You know, by the cold open, I could tell what episode it was. And I'd watch it over and over again. Sure, I was watching too much TV probably for a period. I think my parents tried to limit it at one point. We didn't, we weren't even Catholic or anything, but we did Lent one year and I could only get mm. one hour of TV. Oof. And I lied to my friends that the TV was broken or something. I was like, instead of saying that. <laughs> and then I, it was one of those things where I got caught in my lie and I was over at a friend's house and he was talking about how our TV was broken. And then my brother was like, our TV's not broken. And I was like, oh my God. And I remember kind of like a little bit of a liar. Granted, they were white liars, white lies, but I, yeah, Johnny, you blew my cover. <laughs> Darn it. I look terrible in my circle. That's right. Oh, no. But yeah, it's so good. And watching it, obviously, you can't help but feel the nostalgia factor, the, the music, the look of it. But what I was really taken looking at it this time. And I've watched it twice to get ready for today. It's been a couple of years since I've watched it. And I hadn't watched it on the projector until now. And I caught more. And I just didn't realize kind of how it has this grainy, gritty sliminess to it. And they actually talked about this in uh, the making of documentary that you sent me. That's on YouTube. It's about 15 minutes long where they interviewed the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about how you can't overlight the practical effects that they used because you see the seams and a lot of the the movie magic on spools so they kind of had to keep it all dark but i think subsequently it gives it this noir gritty i think like blade runner and i remember they talked about it <clears throat> how it was kind of the studio was wary about it originally or playmates was wary with the movie because it was kind of like we're going to portray it as grittier and and violent and and you know it's certainly not a a bloodbath of a movie, but it's kind of rough around the edges, you know. Yeah, and and it's much. Um, my understanding, I didn't I didn't read the comics, but it's closer in tone to the comics than the TV show was, than the toy line was. I mean, it was it was the film was actually like a, a real departure from what had been what what had been created from the comic book is sort of like this childish thing. And like all of a sudden you have this, this movie with this really like, you know, high contrast lighting, like in very you know, moody, moody lighting. And it's just, yeah, you know, absolutely. very serious production design, like great yeah. sets. Amazing. Um, Amazing. 
you know, it, it, it's it, it works in its favor. And I think it's, you know, it holds up to 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 today. Honestly, like it's probably some of the best. Um, Jim Henson did the his his studio did all the the puppeteering. So um, good. His son was the uh, the second unit director. Um, oh, is that right? I didn't know yeah, that. Brian oh. Henson was the second unit director. So, Brian. Um, yeah. it's just I, I I don't know. Like, always always be a fan. I'm, I've always been a fan of more practical stuff than CGI. And I think you know, yes, this is sort of proving this movie proves that that's those things will hold the test of time, whereas CGI will fall apart um, as the as the technology grows. Yes, um, I think you're right. I know you and I are both horror fans and. There's just there's just a look and feel to the '80s and '90s of the practical, and I think we're starting to see we're starting to see a healthy blend of computer. But I remember there was a period it seemed like in the late aughts into like even just a few years ago where it just seemed like it was all CG. Yeah, and it just felt so soulless to a degree. Not to say there weren't some great things coming out and good writing and what. Obviously, a movie is many elements that have to weave together in a in a, in a dance. The ballet, if you were, of all mm-hmm. these <laughs> things right. yeah. happening. But there is something about this era that I just love. You can see the sweat, and it seems like everyone's sweaty. Now you notice yeah. everyone's like been it's wet. Been been a uh, you know last looks were done, and everyone was padded off. Yeah, everything's so wet in the eighties. Called the slimy eighties, like especially the horror movies, <laughs> like the Cronenberg era. Uh-huh. And seeing this now, it's been a few years. And seeing it now after being such a horror fan and studying horror and like Cronenberg and, you know, all these, all these guys and seeing the creature work here, it's, it, when you're a kid, you just think everything's real. You don't really think about it. You're like, oh, that's great production design. As right. a kid, you're like, oh, pizza. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the songs are catchy or the one-liners. Obviously, that's all still there. But the look of it is so, so visceral and so good. And you can see the porous sweat on their on their amphibious skin, mm-hmm. uh, or reptiles, reptile, yeah, reptiles, yeah, yeah, yeah the reptiles. Sorry, I, I can't remember who they were talking to somebody about it and said that this is, you know, we want to be in the POV of the turtles, and this is the life they experience. Mm-hmm. They live, you know, subterranean lives yeah. in sewers. Outcasts. Yeah, and it's like they they come out at night. Like this is the existence they have is a very darkened existence. It doesn't, you know, right. they're not. And really, the only time we see them in the middle of the day is either inside um, April's apartment or out at the the farm. And really, the rest of it, the rest of the time, it's like they are either in a sewer or they are, you know, at nighttime fighting something. You know, yeah, they just don't have a lot of day daylight exposure. So it makes sense that that's where the movie would want to live. Right. No, it totally works. Yeah, and I know the, they kind of took a gamble on They're like, oh, is this going to, are people going to identify? But I remember as a kid, there was that scariness that I do remember viscerally connecting with, like with Shredder and, and you know, the, the Foot Clan. And it, they're creepy, you know. Uh, and But then you're like, these guys can combat this this force. They have the skills and the, the wherewithal right. and the know-withal to, to combat this evil force. And you really, really feel it. And I remember really being scared, scared of Shredder and being afraid that he was going to kill the, the redhead, the ginger kid, and, yeah. you know, just, like, take his head off. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's so scary. Right. And then when they're fighting him at the end on the rooftop, it, it culminates so well and, and being so invested. And then I remember after the movie, we were, like, we were staying, we were, my parents took us somewhere and we were in a hotel that night. And they're like, oh, we're going to go to the movies. And then we came back, my brother and I were running around the, 
the hallways like on all fours like we were turtles. Nice. And it just it, it, it connected with us at that age. And I don't remember being like, oh, it was dark and gritty and scary, and it, it was different than the you know the cartoon. It just all fed together in my brain. So I think they yeah. they succeeded. But you get the lightheartedness of the one-liners, and mm-hmm. you know how they all have their own four distinct personalities, and that all really emerged. So there's like something for everyone. Like, what type are you? What what uh, what turtle do you think you would be, Rich? As a kid, I was more into um, is either Donatello or Michelangelo yeah. were, my, were my two. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't. I, Donatello knows machines. He does. <laughs> and uh, Michelangelo, he's a party dude. So yeah, and I remember that, them saying this in the the documentary, the the toy documentary, the toys that made us. How he was the kind of avatar of the every teen. Yeah, and so they really. That's why he's the most fun, and he's the most right. like fun and fun loving. And um, I mean, they all love pizza, but I think he likes it a little bit more. Yeah, than they do. You know, where Leo's like, oh, I gotta be the leader, and yeah, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm doing my part. He he wears the burden more. Um, I was always curious why Michelangelo sounded like a SoCal surfer, and Raphael was like a like a hardened like Brooklyn guy. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's funny. Oh man, so yeah, you sent me this really cool making of where the actors were. I think it was on the thirtieth, and they were so. Three years ago it's yeah crazy. 2020s during during covid during covid yeah they're all zooming and and they were like did you think that in 30 years we'd be talking about it like <laughs> they're like no but i you know it makes sense that these suits were such a nightmare to be in and be part of oh yeah and yeah apparently they really were like one of them one of the actors was like yeah i just thought i was gonna die like every day <laughs> you know hot it's just unbelievably hot and then the head has all the servos and yeah i mean it's crazy how they the movements and apparently there was controllers with like certain features would be highlighted or be like mad smiling happy yeah yeah. there's like a button you can press and the face would contort. it's unbelievable and then inside the turtle shell was 60 pounds of batteries wiring and like other controls so it's just like yeah you know you're walking around with a 60 pound pack on your back all the time and like those are not so the, they they have the suits that the actors would wear, and then they must have had other suits that were just like stunt suits that I'm sure had no controls over it. So if you watch, um, you can see it especially on on Raphael, like when he's fighting the Foot Clan on the on the seat on the rooftop, um, his mouth is just like in a frozen thing. So his mouth and his eyes and his face don't move at all. It's because it's the stunt suit. And like it's just a guy. It, the suit is just there to to be as as lightweight as possible, so right. he can do the punches and the Actually kicks and go in. exactly. So I mean, it's pretty incredible, like what those stunt guys are able to do inside of those massive suits. I know you forget when you're watching it. You just it becomes a martial art movie. Yeah. Where these guys are doing these crazy flips and kicks and punches and and you know and they got their 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 weaponry, mm-hmm. respective weaponry to the character. Unless you watch it in the UK, and then they don't. Well, like. Oh yeah. There's so in in the UK they were the um, the teenage mutant hero turtles. So they took the the whole ninja aspect, ninja. like went out of it. Um, apparently, that scene, like the nunchuck scene, the show off between the two guys, the one guy that flew, oh, a fellow chucker, eh? Like that whole scene is just gone. It just doesn't exist. Huh. And they like, yeah, like Michelangelo doesn't have nunchucks. I in that movie somehow in the UK version, I don't understand how that's possible, but they like cut out as much as they could so he wouldn't have nunchucks, which is weird because it's honestly like. The nunchucks is what, at the end of the movie... Sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen this movie. Yes. Um, at the end of the movie, the, the nunchuck is what, like, hangs on the... 
on the ladder, oh, in the ladder yeah, and what he's able to like you know splinter like whips it around on uh, his his splinters uh, shredders staff and yes. flips him over the edge of the wall. Right. So it's like I don't know how you really tell that story without the nunchucks, but but yeah, they did it. Oh man, so yeah. Before we get into more of the particulars, what were what were some of the kind of takeaways that you gleaned this getting ready for today, kind of in this last viewing or two? I, I think. Um, I, I usually like jokingly say like I learned three things at AFR story story story, and so I was like <laughs> trying to, I was trying to like okay like what what like as a storyteller what is the story here and I think it's really like um, it's maybe less so a traditional story than it is just about like relationships between um, parents specifically fathers and their children like you have. With April, like, she, her whole thing is, like, I'll keep this store open just as a memory of my dad. So, like, her dad's just out of the picture. Gone. Then you have, like, right. the... the Was it also the house that they go to? The, the house. It's, like, the family house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, like, you know, keeps it up but not really keeps it up. Yeah, and not good enough. Not, no, not yeah. nearly at all. Put some money into that. Um, yeah, well, but, uh, and then you have the, the turtles that have Splinter as their father figure and he gets kidnapped and, like, you know, he's out there. Um, you have Danny and his relationship with his dad. This is, like, it's basically, like, oh, and also Shredder and, and Tatsu and their, like, sort of parental, like, their father relationship mm. with the rest of the Foot Clan. So it's, mm. like, yeah. I, I really think it's sort of examining, like, every possible relationship that you can have with, like, a father figure. And so just kind of going in, going through um, and just inspecting that and like okay what what does it look like to have like like a father that cares about you like how how do the how do the children react to that a father that like maybe maybe cares but in a weird way that's not completely understandable like with Danny and his dad is like you know he wants his kid to do well but the kids screw it off and like getting in trouble i don't know what's going on with Casey Jones and his dad but there's got to be some story there yeah but i, I, would I think, like more yes i would love more and i love this yeah and the familial bond i mean so they're a family, and, yep. and Splinter's their father. Yep. And you know Splinter's relationship with Irokusaki, <laughs> and you know that whole that whole rivalry there. And, Hamato Yoshi. Yeah, and Yoshi yeah. was their their teacher originally. I mimicked my master's moves from, his, <laughs> from my cage. That was great. Yeah. You no, know, I love all this. I love all this. And uh, I actually we saw it in 2002 at the Cosford. Oh, really? Fall in 02, and they put it in the theater. And I remember going with Dan Siriano. Shout out to Dan Siriano, who's a massive Turtles fan. And oh, also yeah. just really into 80s and 90s yeah. nostalgia. And he said that the 90s started when the Berlin Wall fell in 91. So the 80s actually don't end in 90. They end in 91. And oh, really? That's his timeline. So I'd say citation yeah. needed on that, buddy boy. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I could totally see that, though. But I remember... There's the part where he's like, this is your family. Shredder's like, this is your family. Yeah. And I, I am your father. Yeah. And getting a massive laugh. And I was like, why is everyone laughing at that? Because it's so Darth Vader-y. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And even the helmet of... Mm-hmm. And I think they're both they're both emulated off like the, the Japanese, you know, helmets. Yeah. War helmets and the samurai helmets back in the right. day. And Darth Vader is dark father. And, <laughs> you know... I think Shredder was heavily influenced by Darth Vader. You know, the, the mangled face. I can see that, and, totally. Uh, you know, he's he's breathing fine without a mechanical apparatus, but, you know, he's a little beat up. And um, I love that it was Splinter that marred his, that scarred him and, mm-hmm. and fucked up his face. And uh, and then, yeah, so he's, like, cast out and he creates his own family. And I'm sure Master Tatsu was beaten by his, his dad or something, or, you know, something going on there. I assume, yeah. 
Yeah, because he needed a new a new father figure. So yeah, definitely all those sub themes. Um, it's funny. What I gleaned was actually a lot like less uh, meaty, but you know what I really noticed this time is similarities with Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, I there's a couple of points in the score where I'm like, is that from Ghostbusters? And like they literally, <laughs> say like, who are you gonna call it? <laughs> and then it's New York and the stuff with the mayor, um, and you know it's like this outcast group of four dudes, mm-hmm. you know, with one girl. Yeah, you know, Janine, April. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, that was swirling around in the subconscious of of Eastman and uh, Laird. Kevin Eastman and... Peter Laird. Peter Laird, thank you. Which we, we could talk about more of than Playmates found them. But yeah, I'm sure that was swirling around in their subconscious, that movie coming out in 84. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's a copy of Ghostbusters or anything. No, but no. It's no. like, who are you going to call? There's these guys and... You know, they seem like losers at first, but then it turns out you really need them. Right, yeah. And they're going to save the day from <laughs> these extraneous kind of more or less supernatural. I mean, not supernatural and the Foot Clan and Shredder, but something mystical and old school about it. You know, an archaic element. Something from, from the, the past. past. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wild because like in the, so in the comic book, they talk about, um, I mean, uh, Laird and Eastman talk about like the 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 Foot Clan supposedly like came out of like feudal Japan, right? And then like cut to this movie and you have the police chief talking about like why am I supposed to take this thing seriously? That's something reminiscent of something that happened years ago in Japan. But it's like it's not that long ago. It's not feudal Japan because it's the same guy. It's Oroko Saki is the same guy that's doing it now. Right. Um, so it's just I, it was one of those like weird things. It's like okay. Eh. Um, yeah, but like, I, I, I don't. Don't, I don't tell know. me how to do my. <laughs> yeah. like oh man! And the mayor's he's very. That's really, the that's the chief of police. Chief of police, yes. Yeah, he's he's super intense. Oh. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. Poor guy. That's right. As <laughs> as far as we know, he is handling just this one case. <laughs> <laughs> that's big enough. Wait, so didn't you say that the foot was like the actual name? The foot was so it all yeah. all stemmed through comics. Yes. Yeah, you, you tell it. Yeah, you so, said this on the phone. I, I mean, yeah, I was just you know um, one of the one of the lore things is uh, Laird and um, Eastman were like big fans of uh, Jack Kirby and and Marvel comics and um, Daredevil in particular was one of the ones they liked and the uh, antagonistic organized crime group in Daredevil is called the Hand. And right. so they like came up with the foot as sort of like a tongue in cheek kind of like nod to yeah. that. It was a, yeah. like the whole conceit of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like stemmed from a joke. Like one of them was trying to make the other one laugh, and so he like drew this like you know this turtle with this really droopy nose and like you know right. kind of like sagged over and like gave him like you know ninja weapons and like that made him laugh. And so then the other guy drew something very similar, and then they took passed it back and forth. And they ended up with four of them, and that became the it it, it was it started out as the Ninja Turtles. And then the other guy added the Teenage Mutant, and they were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it's, I, I don't know. That was kind of it. That's this sort of um, – the origin of the entire thing stems yeah. from just these two guys who are working together, not able to really like – you know, they're, they're working other jobs. They're, they're trying to make ends meet. And then, you right. know, this is what they do as their hobby. And then all of a sudden it's just like this – oh, this idea. And it's just like – it made them laugh, and they thought it was good, and they just built a whole comic out of it. And, and they're handing the notes through the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, between the two rooms. Which they show in the the toys that made us. Yeah, it's a great, great, great um, 
episode, and I thought it was going to be more about just the toy element of it, but it ended up being really a history of the franchise itself. Yeah. And, and that's just because the toys were so integral to the progression of the Turtles. I mean, it started out yeah. as this gritty comic, and this guy, Mark Friedman, who's again in this in this Netflix documentary, um, it's like this is something really like you got you got a thing here, and licensed it and like sold it to toy makers, and then the yeah. toys were great, and they I spawned. Yeah, actually, it was they went to Mattel. They did go to Mattel. Speaking of, you know, Barbie's the hit movie right now. <laughs> and honestly, I, I found myself thinking about Barbie here because it's like you know, I didn't even think about it, but this was a. This was 33 years before Barbie even came out, which was a much older toy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're getting to see IP created. Obviously, there was a comic and sure. not, but they strayed from that most. I mean, more or less, there was some similarities, but this was its own iteration, but of a, of a thing that was basically a toy. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and it, I don't know, they, there's so many, it's so fun to watch these documentaries and they're like, this is the dumbest shit I ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then it's like, I got a check for a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here I am. I was, I was like working as a whatever janitor two weeks before and then somebody hands me a check for a million dollars. Yeah. It's just crazy. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They got <laughs> Kevin Smith in there. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's like four words together. But there was something about it. Yeah. And yeah, this, the image of seeing a turtle... I guess it was a lobster originally. It was oh yeah, the yeah, first okay. iteration of it or something like that. Um, sort of a seaside town. And- yeah, because somebody, yeah, somebody worked with like, uh, at, at either I don't know if it was like a lobster harvester or like a lobster yeah. restaurant or something. But he worked with lobsters. Yeah, he hated them because um, they're bottom feeders. You know, they just eat whatever whatever floats to the whatever sinks to the bottom of the water. That's right. what they eat. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. Yeah, I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. It's sort of like. Kevin Smith saying, I know these four words. I've never seen them together in this order. Yeah. But it's somehow like it just piques your interest and you want to know yeah. what is this thing? What right. is it? Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, once you, once you, I, I don't, for, for, especially probably for like adolescent boys, like once you dive in, that that's it. You just, you're, you're hooked. You're hooked. You got something for everybody in there. No, it's great. And they're really, really a cool gang. And yeah, the, the orphan element that they live in the sewer and that they're outcasts and they've they've been ostracized and uh you know the new movie does a really good job too where splinter's like you can't go out there like nothing good will come out there they'll just try to murder you because he went out there one time and almost got murdered and and that was it and then he was like we're never gonna leave that's that's the rule and that element's here but they do go out splinter's a little more lax with that You you can leave grounds um but you know don't don't stay out too long Gotta wear the gotta wear the disguise. Right, right, right. Uh, the Raphael with the critters poster is like my favorite part of the movie. I think. <laughs> Where do they come up with this stuff? Which is funny because so this movie is 1990, right? Right. Which means they shot in '89. Yes. Yeah. Critters came out in 1986. Why is that? Why is Critters still in theaters in Manhattan three years later? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean in LA they play old stuff all the time, but you're not going to see a giant billboard. For no, it. it's not going to be on the marquee. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't think of that. Then again, they come if, up with this stuff. Yeah, it's great. Then again, there's there's so many things that are like you know you have to suspend your disbelief. Like actually, I sent that clip. I film I film myself watching movies all the time on the projector, and I post them online, and send them to people, send it to my brother, and he's like, I love how they didn't notice him at all. Like he's <laughs> oh because he has the hat on and the, yeah. the trench coat. Like, but it's like it's like with Superman, Clark Kent. Like oh, the glasses. I had no idea it was him. Yeah, he looks kind of like Superman with glasses. <laughs> both no idea. You know, it's just. Whatever, it works. It fits. We're um, we're all we're all Will Ferrell in. Um, <laughs> it's the same look. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> yeah, 
Zoolander. That was the movie. <laughs> Bad Hansel's so hot right now. <laughs> I need to rewatch Zoolander, actually. It's been a while. I never saw two. But... I don't know if I saw two either. Well, yeah, I mean, Kevin Eastman and uh, Le- what was it? Um, Kevin, uh, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. Peter Laird, Kevin Eastman. It's like the American dream, you know? Two guys, and they literally created a, they're called Mirage Studios, which was just their living room. Right. And they just, like you said, they just started drawing. And then, yeah, they find Friedman. Let's build a franchise. And then they reached out to, like, Mattel, and they reached out to, and they're like, no, this is never going to work. It's never going to work. And then I guess they sent a, like, they put together a little bit of funds to create, like, the prototype Ninja Turtle. It wasn't even one of the original four yet. It was just, like, a turtle. And they sent it in a box to the then head of Playmates. And he didn't open it, apparently, for a while, because there was, like, so much going on. And the guy's like, open the box, just look here. <laughs> and then, but he looked, he opened it, and then he said, yeah, there's something here. And I think because he said that, he was like, all right, team, let's take a peek at that. And it got the ball rolling. Because apparently there were so many failures in that genre, and... Um, Playmates had made a toy. I forget the, what, the, what the name of it. It was some doll, right? Where there was like buttons in the back of it. The talking, the girl talking? Yeah, yeah. What was the name of that thing? I don't remember. Lucy, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Shoot. Anyway. They made that and it was like, it, that one was like pretty that successful. And then they made another one that was more complicated. And that They're one. They're like, oh, well, the, the, the main one was selling for 100 yeah. which is crazy. Right. That was like late 80s. Right. Which was like $1,000. Right. And then. <laughs> And then they're like, let's make a more expensive one that's even heavier and bigger and weirder and can do more things and completely bomb. So they were like, kind of just, they were like, all right, well, we're on thin ice right now. But Stacy, I think it was Stacy. Stacy. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. I never even heard of that one. No, I hadn't heard of it either. I never, I, know, I don't know anybody that had it or anything. I didn't, I didn't recognize it. But yeah, it's pretty fancy. It had like controls in the back. You hit a button, mm-hmm. talk. Yeah, it was like a Teddy Ruxpin, but it was like, it was like a little girl. Yeah, and then Friedman's like, let's go farther. Let's make an action feature. Oh, no, that was the show. Yeah. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Before they, but yeah, before they ever made any of the action figures, they said, we need to, we need to like introduce this to a broad audience. And so they made, they they created the animated TV show to sell a, to sell a toy line. It's crazy. crazy. Well, and it's it's genius because then it builds all the lore. And then I remember as a kid, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. I remember I I saw that, uh, I saw that episode with that, with the crocodile guy. And now I want that guy. And now I want that guy. And, you know, and there's the lore built into the show. It's genius. But what really hit me was when they went to go make the movie and they were like, no, this doesn't work. There was Howard the Duck and there was other, they're trying to do live action cartoon comic like transfers. Obviously now we're living in the age of the Marvel explosion. And, yeah. And, you know, we're, good. we're at the, the tail end of that right now. But, you know, they were like, oh, I don't know. And then they wanted to go darker and grittier, like we said. And they're like, oh, well, that's different than the show. But then I honestly, I knew this movie was a hit. Because they made more, and I knew it was a hit. But I didn't know, A, it was an independent. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So it was the biggest independent movie for a while. It cost $13.5 million in 89. Yeah, so there's a, a director's commentary where he says it was $7 million, So I think the extra six and a half was probably just in P&A, like oh, printed advertising. Like total. Yeah, I think the production budget was seven. Yeah. And he said most of that went to the went to the turtles. Went, went to the suits. And, and I don't know, but I mean it's that's at least a couple million just to Jim Henson, just to the just to manufacture yeah. all the puppeteering, like all that that's a that was a huge that had to be a huge budget suck for yeah, them. Yeah, that must have been most I mean, you're not looking at a lot of like big names or anything. You know, Corey Feldman was the voice of Donatello, he was in Goonies and stuff Which like that. I wonder he he may have never even been on set. Yeah, I don't think he was. Only one turtle was voiced 
and and like acted like puppeteered. Oh, Raphael was um, Josh uh, Pais. The, the guy in the suit did the voice. The rest of them, it was yeah. a different person. Man, I bet I wonder if those guys were bitter at all. They're like, you didn't have to be in and those miserable suits were right. You know, months <laughs> and all that. I mean, it sounded like it was really tough, really, really tough. But it paid off because, and that I think that's why it, like you said, it holds up and the test of time. But yeah, yeah, two hundred million dollar worldwide. It's crazy on a thirteen million dollar budget. It's crazy. I mean, to put things into perspective, the biggest movie the following year was, I believe in 1990, uh, I just saw Total Recall again, which came out in 90. Mm -hmm. That was a $65 million movie. Okay. Which at the time was, um, that's pretty much as big as it got. Yeah. Until 91 when Cameron did Terminator 2. Was that 100 million? At 100 million. Okay. And then that ended up doing like five something worldwide. But that's at a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, this is at a thirteen million dollar budget. Right. <laughs> so if you look at like overhead versus profit, it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's insane. That's crazy. I don't even look. I didn't even look at like Secret of the Use numbers or anything. It wasn't as as big, but I mean, like the, there was a there was some note somewhere that said the three movies did over three hundred million dollars worldwide. Most of it was in the first movie. I mean, yeah, I guess two thirds of it was in the, in the first movie. Right. I'm sure the second one probably cost more. They went bigger. And yeah. I, I'm 25 sticks in my head for some yeah. reason. Then I feel like it, you know, it wasn't a failure, but, but it like only grossed maybe 62, yeah. something like that. Like it was, you know. Diminishing returns a little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I don't think they put as much into the third one. Yeah, and then the doc talks, the toys doc talks about how it, that then fed into the sales of the toy exploding. Yeah. And he was like, the demand was so high. That we, they were creating a new character every month to meet the demand. And it was like insane, insane. And that went all the way up until about 95, <laughs> 96. And then they were like, okay, it's starting to dry up a little bit. And that's when they tried to do the reboot with Saban. Which, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know about any of this. Uh, they, were, they were tried to do a another, they tried to do a live action series like Power Rangers. Yeah. And if you think about it, I thought of Saban. Back in the day, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, yeah. um, Teenage Tattooed Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills, Big Bad Beetleborgs, <laughs> Virtual Reality Fighters, or whatever, VR Troopers, I'm sorry, VR Troopers, Virtual Big Reality Troopers. Big Bad Beetleborgs. Superhuman Samurai <laughs> Cyber Squad. Oh, Jesus. So I feel, like, I, I feel like Turtles created the four words in a row. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, yeah. this, 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 then the noun. Like three adjectives or whatever. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> and Saban took that. And then it's funny because, you know, art imitating art now. They're like, well, Saban did a show about Money Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. They were teenagers that were also outcasts. Right. And, you know, they made form together. And then they had Zordon instead of Splinter. And he was a guy in a tube. And apparently that guy never got any money. And that's like when I'm talking about the strike and everything. Oh, wow. That's too bad. He got paid like a day rate. And they, it's, they used that. That's because he was in the, a part of the, the Japanese crew. Something like yeah, because they, they, all the martial arts stuff was shot overseas. Right. I don't know if it's specifically Japan, but it was shot overseas. And then they basically just trucked in all that footage. And then they would do the, have the, the, uh, the American cast would do voiceovers, whatever. It's like, oh, it got me. Like that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I just, I, stuff. I remember watching that. It's probably the first thing that I ever hate watched was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like, I knew <laughs> as a kid, like, this show is bad. Yeah. But somehow I was like, I just, I, I can't, I, I can't it. stop watching this. I know. I knew it was cheesy too. Like, you see the zippers on the guys. Yeah. The putties, the, the, putties, the bad guys. Oh, jeez. I had one friend, Mark Leeson, shout out. I think you met him. He came to Miami. Like, yeah. I think when you were living there. Yeah, the, the name sounds familiar. Yeah. He, uh, he was obsessed. <laughs> and we got into, like, we've been into Star Trek for a long time. And he's a massive Trekkie like me. And we still talk about Star Trek. But he still has 
like a twinkle in his eye when oh, talking about Power Rangers. And he got obsessed with like Amy Jo Johnson and oh, all yeah. the Pink Rangers. I forget <laughs> whoever was the next Pink Ranger after her, but whoever took the mantle. Oh boy. But yeah, anyway, he was like doing web design in the in the late nineties. And he was like the web design guy at our middle school. And he did he made a page to Jennifer Connolly and Amy Jo Johnson. <laughs> and he basically used all of his computer skills to like make fan pages for nice. his favorite girl crushes in, in movies and TV. Good use of your talent, honestly. Mark, you're the man. Yeah. After listening to this, thank you. And uh, we love you. But yeah, he I remember years later even, and he's like, Oh, I got the tur- I got the oh, it's called the Turtles. I got the Power Rangers movie oh. on tape. Oh no. Uh, with with Speaking of ooze, Ivan Ooze was oh. the villain. <laughs> I, Ivan Ooze. Oh, jeez. Um, and he had a secret, too, you know. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, to get back to Turtles, but yeah, and I guess that that, that didn't go very yeah, well. The live-action Turtles. I don't remember this at all. go well. I just, but I, when I, I mean, when I saw the clips of it, I was like, oh, this looks bad. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where the bar is so high from the movies, you know. It really was. You yeah, know? and the, it looks so good. And like like I said, when I was a kid, I'm not like, oh, the creature effects are amazing, but it is that Jim Henson. And apparently, Jim died in 1990 at right. 53, um, which is you know obviously very sad and sudden. And we were all the world was very caught off guard. But uh, he did get to see it mm-hmm. before it. He didn't get to see it hit theaters. He had passed away, mm. but uh, he got to see like a cut of it. And apparently he was really, really happy with it. So I, I like that. That you know, obviously he's already seen his empire flourish. And, yeah, of and course. That, but, yeah, this um, was one of the last movies that he did, and yeah. somebody, maybe it was Brian, and was saying, you know, this was the most complicated, like puppeteering, animatronic, all that that had they'd ever done. So yeah. it's kind of you can you can at least hang your hat that like he. Push the boundaries his entire career up until the very yeah, end. Yeah, literally to the very end. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in that documentary that you sent on uh, YouTube, the fifteen minute one with the thirty, the thirtieth anniversary mm-hmm. retrospective over COVID, when the actors were all zooming together, I talked about how one of them wa- walked into um, the special the creature shops guy's like office, and there was like Falcor's head was right there. Oh yeah, yeah, in a Neverending Story, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and Falcor's face is crazy with like the lips and the eyes. I just rewatched that movie. That movie's trippy as hell. Yeah. It's, it's so good. It played at the cemetery, Hollywood Forever. Oh, nice. My favorite movie theater in town, a cemetery. <laughs> which is always really funny. But yeah, I mean, um, I didn't get to go, so I ended up watching that one. And the second one, which I haven't seen in years. But there is just something visceral about the puppets. And yep. they, it lasts. Like, you can just you can always be like, oh, the computer-generated effects don't hold up. But if it's real, it's practical. Yeah. It, it won't age. It holds up. I mean, sometimes you can totally see, like, the green screen where Falcor's flying. Sure, yeah, of course. "Ah." But, I mean, you know. waving his hands around in front of the green screen. It still looks better to me than going all computer. Terminator 2, like, rear projection, that stuff looks looks good. Like, all these these old technologies that, like, somehow, or that that we keep trying to replace with newer and better. And, yeah, they're newer, but they're not necessarily better. Right. And I think, you know, people that lean into... um, well, I think there there are there are folks that are just like vehemently against CGI, and I think that's also wrong as well. I think that right. like there's certain things you can do only with practical effects, but like 
if you are this is this is what Jurassic Park basically did. I was like, say, use yeah, use the practical effects as a base, and then whatever you can't do because of money restrictions or it's just it's not going to look right with with puppets and animatronics, like yeah. then you know, augment that stuff with CGI. I think that's sort of the answer. You know, very sparingly do the CGI very very sparingly, but yes. like. You know, if you if, also the other thing that people don't necessarily think about is like, if you don't have those practical effects that are interacting with your actor, it makes it much more difficult for the actor to deliver yeah. a realistic performance. Right, they're just acting in front of a yeah. ping pong ball. Or yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. it's so you know. I I think that there is probably a balance to be struck there, but it definitely has we've we've strayed too far from practical effects, in my yeah. opinion. And I think we're we are seeing a healthy return even in TV. And um, just wrapped up season two of Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode where they do the Gorn, which is actually the classic like Kirk fighting the Gorn on the on at Vasco oh, Rocks. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, it's it's, it's a guy in a suit, and, he's, <laughs> and the slow punches like. Whoosh. But now the Gorn are super fast. They did, in season one, they did it was basically alien. Um, the the hatchlings Gorns, oh. the hatchling Gorns are like xenomorphs. Interesting. And they're running around, and they can like burrow and. Um, and then as they get older, they, they get less xenomorphy, but they're still pretty xenomorphy. And in the episode, I'm like, that looked really good. Uh, and I thought of Jurassic Park, and I thought of Aliens, and 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 then I watched the making of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Ready Room with Will Wheaton. It's a really cool like making of show of Trek. But they talked about how Stan Winston Studios made these. And right. It was, it was Stan's company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did Alien and, and Terminator and, and, you know, even helped Rob Bottin on the thing. And, yep. You know, so I think we're seeing a healthy mix um and even like ash vs evil dead by season three it was a lot practical or season one maybe not as much mm-hmm. you know maybe it was a money thing but sure it could have been yeah you know but yeah there was this era and call it like 2009 to like five or six years ago where it just seemed like everything was computer generated yeah and a lot of those movies now are so hard to watch they just yeah. don't age well of course you know, i mean tough. yeah and there you know and even in the in the late 90s there were people that like leaned really heavily into cgi like way too early right and there's movies that came out in '98 that look, yeah, that look worse. They look worse than Jurassic Park, which was you I know. know, which was early '90s. So, no, and that movie, the CG really still holds up. And yep. uh, and like you said, I think it's because they know when to use what tool. Mm-hmm. And apparently, they were. I watched the making of that movie, Happy Thirty JP. And that movie still looks so good. It's amazing. Like the mosquito in amber, it's preserved perfectly. <laughs> And, uh, hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. Bingo. <laughs> Dino DNA. But yeah, just knowing when to use the puppet versus that. And apparently they were going to go with that stop motion style. And they showed the screen tests of it. Yeah. And it looks so bad. And you're like, oh my God, they almost did this. They almost did it. And then they're like, wait, we can do this. And ILM like made the breakthrough like just then. <laughs> it was one of those things where, you know, it just wasn't there yet. Uh, but it like just came through. And then once that, and then JP, you know, Pandora's box with that. Right. But yeah, no, knowing when to do which thing. And, um, but I mean, yeah. you know, with turtles, like there was no CGI. They couldn't, no, they couldn't do it. No, it it had to be practical. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have it. No. And I remember, uh, I just listened to, um, RIP William Friedkin. He just passed away. Mm-hmm. Titan of the industry. Oh yeah. He was 87, but still hurt. But anyway, we love you, Bill. We won't, we won't have them. We won't have him to take down, Young, arrogant directors anymore. I know exactly. <laughs> I know he, he spoke his mind that guy. He absolutely I mean, he, did. Whether you love him or hate him, he spoke his mind. Um, seriously, but yeah, I just watched the, the Exorcist again, which I still think is his best movie. And then, um, and it's just such a scary movie. It's really, really good. But 
he talked about uh, refrigerating the set to get the, the cold breath. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, they could do it with computers and it'd be fine. But I'm like, you know what? I still feel like it just looks real when it's real. Yep. You know, and if you can refrigerate the set, sure, that's tough. Yeah. But like, there's so many times where they do the breath effect and you're like, they're not really cold. They're not really cold. No. I'm sure, they're acting cold, but they're not cold. Yeah, and just like you know, they they turn the head and like it, it doesn't. It's it's just it's it's always imperfect, and it's like those little details, right. the things that like your eye catches, your eye's gonna catch them, and it's it's stuff that like you're either not gonna pay for to somebody on on the on, on post to do it mm-hmm. that detailed, or they're not gonna care enough about the final product to put in the time necessary to, to make sure that that's what the, so it slips through the cracks. Exactly, it just slips yeah. through the cracks. Yeah, it's like if you just if you just figured out a way to do it in in camera, in camera. it would be fine. Yeah, because it would be there. <laughs> Man, I mean the suits. I mean, yeah, they were a nightmare to wear, but it, it's just this guys. Your sacrifice was done in vain. Like it looks so good. Yes, and, and watching it now, I'm just like, man, the the skin and the the st- the spongy nature, like all yeah. the heads. Even and it's 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 sweat. it's it's porous. There's like you know yeah. little like uh, like not not pimples, but like little like you know. I guess where, yeah, like well, where you would see like hairs growing, but they're yeah. they're reptiles. They don't have that. But it's just like right. I, I, I don't I don't know. It, it was it was it was very good. It was very well done, and just like I can't imagine unless you're going to animate the whole thing. I can't imagine going another direction. Like the the, the Michael Bay, the new ones, like they're fun, but it's totally different. It's I just it, seen any it doesn't it doesn't have the same. Yeah, this you know I don't know. Maybe it's just a nostalgia factor. It certainly doesn't certainly doesn't have the nostalgia. Of my life that yeah. I, that is reminiscent of my life, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, no, for sure. Yeah, and I honestly, I I wasn't even going to check out this new one, but um, a buddy of mine was just Tony Guzman, Antonio. Shout out! He was just struck, and he was going back for second, for third helpings, <laughs> and he, he sees everything. He rarely goes again, yeah. unless it's like, oh, well, let's go see Total Recall at the New Beverly, and I've seen right. this movie before. But right. seeing something in its theatrical run more than one time, <laughs> rarely. And he was like, oh, my God, the music, the visuals. And, yeah, not to get off topic of the 1991, but um, I really liked the new one. And it had a really cool look to it where it was somewhere between, like, Kubo and the two strings where it kind of looked like a, like a stop-motion-y. Mm-hmm. But also the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Where it was comic. And I did see it in 3D. And I think that really served the sure. kind of diorama look and layering of it really, really well. But the story was there. Nice. And, it, and it was enough of... A retelling of hitting, you know, obviously there's Splinter, he cares about them, there's the group, there's the gang, but it's it's enough different. You don't have Shredder, you get this guy called Superfly, and he's a mutant. Oh. So he's another, like, outcast mutant, but now... It's not Baxter Stockman? It's not Baxter. Interesting. No. Okay. I thought of that. <laughs> no, he's uh, voiced by Ice Cube, and he's like, you know, he's just kind of a gangster, but at first he seems really cool, but then he's like, all right, anyone that, anyone that opposes me will die. You know, hmm. so he's kind of like a Hitler where he's outcast, but then right. he decides to create an army. And, Interesting. Um, anyway, he uh, it was really, really, really well done because at first you're like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. He's a mutant. He's cool. He's different. But then obviously he go the lengths that he goes and the decision that he makes to to want to kill everybody. Hmm. <laughs> it goes too far. That's too bad. But then he like forces their hand into helping him and. And they, they keep he intimidates. Them. Anyway, not to give too much away, but there's enough differences, but then enough of the classic moments, like you said, the family connection, the familial right. bonds. Yeah, you have a younger April O'Neil, sure, who's still in high school, and okay, she, she wants to be a she wants to be a reporter, and she's like a reporter in school, but she has stage fright and she vomits when she's on camera. Nice, she becomes puke girl because there's like a famous TikTok where they remix her. 
anyway. That's a good cool. touch. I like that. Yeah, and the score by Atticus um, Atticus Ross and um, Trent Reznor. Yeah, those two guys are killing it. It's really, really, really well put together. Ah, and it was only like ninety five minutes. <laughs> Super lean. Get in, get out. It was over before I was like, oh, it's done. It moved so quick. But anyway, going back and rewatching this one, um, there's there's no there's no replacement for for the practical. No, there's just nothing. There's nothing. It's really real. And yep. you can tell. I remember, you know, I was like, for years, I was like, oh, is it like a stop motion element with the mouths? But how does that work with all the servos and stuff, which we just learned from this documentary? I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's wild. It's really crazy. It's wild. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think they shot it in seven weeks, eight weeks. Yeah, pretty quick. Something like that. Super quick. Which, I mean, I, you know. Having done like practical effects stuff, and like I've never done like martial arts, but like yeah, I can't imagine like the time it would take, especially with guys in suits. Like, how many shots can you actually get off in a day? Is it, like know. you can do like twelve shots before like they're just totally spent, and you got to move on to something else. Like, yeah, do you have to have like Judith Hogue and uh, Elias Codius uh, every day so you can do like the morning with the turtles, and then the afternoon with the with the live action people? Like, I, I don't. Kevin Clash was he was the only one that was like with Splinter doing like traditional puppeteering where he's not in a suit right but he's like you know off camera with uh, the, yeah the joysticks and- he also uh, was puppeteering and voicing that was the only other other oh, than oh. other than Raffatello uh, uh, Raffatello other than Raffatello yeah. <laughs> other than Raphael he was the only other one that was puppeteered and voiced by the same same person that's cool yeah yeah I mean it's one of those things where you want to be like I was the guy in the suit though and yeah that's not my exactly <laughs> it's like you go to the, the premiere and they're like yelling it out like I was in that which I think is why, so like, you know, a couple of little Easter eggs, like the guy who's in the Michelangelo suit, you see at the beginning delivering the pizza to Michelangelo. Uh, <laughs> like that's, that's him. He's like, yeah. oh, come on. I couldn't find the place. You know. Um, and then. I gotta uh, get a new route. Yeah. I thought we delivered everywhere. Um, <laughs> 122? Was it 122 and an 8. 122 and an 8. Great. Um, and then uh, the guy who's in the. Uh, Raphael's suit is actually in the cab. He's the passenger in the cab when oh. da- Raphael rolls over it. Okay. What the heck was that? Look like sort of a big turtle in a trench coat. A trench coat. You go to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> so he's the guy in the back of the cab. Oh, dude, that's um, and then, yeah, uh, the other guys get um, get cameos, but I don't, I don't remember where they are. The guy that's in uh, Donatello's suit and the guy that's in Leonardo's suit. I think they're just like, like henchmen, like foot, footmen, foot... Foot soldiers, foot soldiers. That's the word. Yeah, foot, foot, <laughs> footmen, foot people. Yeah, yeah, foot, foot soldiers, foot folk. Yeah, they're great, and um, they really, they really with the googly eyes and everything. And mm. but yeah, I mean, can we talk about that arcade layer on the oh, ground yeah. where they oh, yeah. go down there and just skateboarding and arcade games and I mean, pool and money and roulette and, and first of all, drinking. to get to hang out with a young Sam Rockwell. I mean, how can you pass that? Oh my that god, up? yes, we almost did. <laughs> yes, Sam Rockwell, man. Look at him in that gold chains, dirty white T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Passing out cigarettes to everyone who asks. Uh, no, it's an amazing – like that video game, Narc, that's a real game, right? Like you could play yes. that game? Yeah, I looked that up. I want to I wanna play that game. Yeah. Um, it's not like the game in, in Hackers that doesn't exist. Yeah, what was the name of that one? Oh, I can't that remember. That was almost Rich's uh, pick as the we'll, Hackers fan. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched it over the pandemic, and like I said, I watched it two days in a row. Yeah. And it wasn't because I had to. Right. And I didn't even do a podcast on it. Right. I was like, no, I want to go again. Yeah, yeah. I think Strat came up and 
I was like, all right, I'll watch it again. That I mean, that one was based off of like um, F Zero, I think is what it was, based on that. But it's not. That's oh, not what it right, was. yeah, like a futuristic racer. Yeah, it was. It was like a hovercraft Hover. racing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so Narc, um, I think they had pinball. There was like a like a skateboard track for some reason, which I'd never seen before yes. or since. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, uh, 1988 run and gun arcade game designed by Eugenia Jarvis for Williams Electronics and programs by George. Yeah, it really existed. Yeah, Narc. Narc. Yeah. I feel like I remember seeing it. I just don't ever remember like. So in the movie when they're playing it, it's like a, it's like a it's like a skeleton head on some like vertebrates inside of a car. Yeah. And it's like like floating around and like I just don't ever remember seeing that live, but I do remember seeing the cabinet, um, probably at the skating rink. Shout out to Spinning Wheels in Festus, Missouri. Oh yeah, that that's where you went. Yeah, that was that was the I don't know that was the place that, that was, was the place that Spinning was it. Wheels, good name. Spinning Wheels, Festus. yeah. Spinning Wheels and Festus. Right, Rich King is from Festus. <laughs> How close to uh, another major city is that? Uh, it's like 30 miles south of St. Louis, St. which, Louis. and you know, other other large cities, it would be considered a suburb, but St. Louis is small enough that it's it's not. We're still, at best, we're an exurb, um, you know, no public transit, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, to get back to NARC, it, uh, one of the first ultraviolet video games as a frequent <laughs> target of parental criticism Ooh. of the video game industry. The object is to arrest and kill drug offenders, confiscate their money and drugs, and defeat Mr. Big. It was the first game in the newly restarted Williams Electronics coin-op video game division. Shortly before its release, Williams acquired the video and pinball divisions of Bally and Midway. I know Bally and Midway, yeah. So it's kind of ironic that, you know, you're depicting a layer where these criminals are gathering. Yeah. And then this game is, and they're playing a game about, you know, stopping drug dealers and offenders. But So the Mr. Big, is that a Sex in the City tie-in, or? <laughs> is Sex in the City one of the, one of uh one of Carrie's boyfriends is they, they call him Mr. Big. Mr. Big. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, yeah. I I love this movie. It's so good. It's a good movie. It's 90 minutes long. Yes. The VHS box says approximately 95 minutes. <laughs> like, it says that? Yeah. Well, we just put just put the runtime. <laughs> Why do you have to put approximately, approximately 95? <laughs> so that VHS you've had since then. That's the yes, that is the my original OG like probably from Christmas 1990 VHS. Wow. Yeah. Did the sisters like it as well? Probably not. Not as much as you. I wouldn't think so, no. Um, Richie has two older sisters. Two older sisters, so yeah. Uh, Molly would have been 10, and Libby would have been 13. Uh, so probably not. <laughs> other things. Yeah. Talking about boys. <laughs> not necessarily Ninja Turtles. Not, yes, not the, Better boys. Not those boys, yes. Other boys. <laughs> Human boys? <laughs> Human boys. But also bipedal. <laughs> I hope. Oh, <laughs> I love the uh, so so like, towards the beginning, like it's uh, Raphael has his encounter with uh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, Casey. Casey. Yeah, he swings he swings the bat and he's like a Jose Canseco bat. Tell me you didn't pay money for this. And then he hits him with the other one. He says it was a two for one deal. <laughs> so but like you look it up, and, like Jose Canseco was like a very good baseball player was playing for the Oakland days at the time but like in 89 is when he started to get in trouble with the law was like arrested with like an automatic uh, semi a semi-automatic uh, handgun he oh. did something in Florida Didn't like know any of this. yeah yeah yeah. he was like yeah he was he was yeah he was a little dicey on the uh, like kind of sidestepping the law a little bit yeah, so yeah. I don't know if they're referencing that in the movie yeah what do they mean by that I don't know what they mean by that I mean he played for the A's they're in New York so maybe it's like a like an American League Yankees Oakland A's thing I, I don't I don't know I really don't know. Meaning what, though? Like, they got the bat from... 
I mean, I, I have to assume that it's something like you you can't like you can't be a Jose Canseco fan. Like this is New York City. I see. That's I think it's that's a city. Yeah. Okay. The Oakland A's from Oakland, California. Okay. Formerly the the so Philadelphia he's Athletics. He's a traitor. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but really? years and years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, you know your sports. No, I just know those those, those things. Those That's it. Because they're lines in a movie. That you exactly right. Yes, <laughs> I know them because they reference a, another thing that I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm very much a fan of. <laughs> oh man! But the the, the the to get back to the the toys documentary, it was so sad how they kind of uh, the original duo uh, kind of like split up. I mean, oh yeah. They kind of hugged it out, but. Yeah. Uh, Laird ended up buying all Eastman's shares. Yeah. But then down the road, there was like another big payout, and I guess Eastman didn't get anything. Didn't get anything. Because he sold his shares. But he wanted to like move on and do more with his life. Yeah. Uh, which I get. But then I'm also like, why? why does it have to be? I guess, you know, Turtles was like his morning, afternoon, and evening. There was an age gap there as well, so sort of like, right. um, I think Laird was like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to ride this wave this until, thing. yeah. And and Eastman's a little bit younger. He's like, well, we can, I could do this again. Like, you know, yeah. lightning strikes twice, kind of thing. Yeah. Not not necessi- not necessarily in a cocky way, but just you know, was like, I've you done know, this. More to more to see. Yeah. In the world. But I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like they're have gotten back together. I'd be curious yeah. to know why there's not like a decent, you know, Blu-ray release of with like deleted scenes and like storyboards because like there's a German yeah German Blu-ray apparently has both the director's commentary on it. Um, which is in English, and uh, some deleted scenes and alternate ending um, where, like, at the end of the movie, apparently, April and Danny, like, go and pitch it as a comic book to, like, a comic book exec, and the turtles, like, come in from the corners of the window behind him, and then Michelangelo falls off. I, I, I don't know, like, wh- why, can't, why can't we see that stuff? All right, we gotta get that, gotta get that Blu-ray. If only, if only they were releasing on Laserdisc, because then we would be fine. Then you would definitely have it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Riches of Laserdisc collection. How many, how many you got now, by the way? I haven't bought it in a while, but it's over 300. 300? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Wow. Some multiples. Where do, you, where do you keep them all? They're just in my apartment. You have like shelves? Yeah. I still haven't seen your Long Beach place. Yeah, well, you know. I don't think you, uh... You don't really want me there. I, guess. I, I don't really it's like it. Because there's laser discs everywhere. And <laughs> mostly. You, you can't get anywhere. It's mostly laser discs. It's just like you go to the bathroom, you just step on laser yeah. discs. I would make pizza more often, but my oven is full of laser discs. <laughs> <laughs> and all turtles. They're all the That's copy right. of turtles. Yes. I have all 300 three copies of turtles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I love that, man. That's, it's, and they're, just, they're so big. Yeah, and it's the quality of like a VHS, right? It's Same quality as a VHS. Yeah, it's the, not the audio. I mean, it won't it won't degrade like a VHS. But. There is a thing called laser rot. Uh, it's not super common. Laser rot. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. Where like you get these like these like streaks of like uh, like pixelation that'll just like come down. Huh. So it's it's very strange. It's it's not super common. Um, I don't think that it's uh, like contagious disc to disc. I was gonna disc. say it's contagious. I don't think it is. It might be, but I don't think so. It's not gangrene. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, so basically, it's it's uh, it is an analog picture and a digital digital sound. So it's sort of like digital. Uh, the the audio quality can be very much akin to uh, DVDs. Um, but it's basically you're taking. It's like like the C. I think it's CAV is is uh, like it's it's photographs. It's it's yeah. it is a series of photographs. So when you pause it, it stops on an image, and it's like that. It's that frame from uh-huh. the from the thirty five. Um, Got it. Yeah, and, and 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 there's another one that's long play, and that's like less uh, less quality. It's just it's not right. it's not a still image. It's it's more of like a, a video kind of format. Okay, but yeah, it's not as many. 
480 though. 4 480i. That's that's what it 480i. is. 480i. Yeah. 480. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's so so rich king of you to collect laser discs. Man, 300. Yeah. Because you got that far. Yeah. Oh, there, is there like a whole community of people on online that are like collectors? Have you, there's have the you reached out. There's the laser disc database. Um, oh. The LDDB. Uh, <laughs> dot com. <laughs> Um, I have my I have my collection posted there. Uh, do you? Yeah. Sir Richard King. Do you yeah. keep it updated and everything. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I do. I just added one. Uh, Mate- our friend Mateo got got me one. Oh, cool. Um, Mateo Saria. Yeah, so he was he was a DJ, and so he would always like ask me to go to record stores with him, and I was like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have like a phonograph, like I don't do LPs. Yeah, but really. then I started to realize, oh, they have laser discs. Like a lot of people oh. will take their laser discs to record stores, <laughs> not knowing. Yeah, and so there's always same like, size. yeah, it's exactly the same size, and like people <laughs> think it's just like, a, oh, this is the soundtrack, and then you like, like no, no it's the movie. why is there the silver disc in here? <laughs> yeah, what is this? Thing? Um, so there's like always it's every chromed out vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> so, cool. every every record store will have like a a section in the corner. That's like laser discs. They don't want them. They never ask for them, but they'll sell them to you. And they mostly don't, you know, it's like a dollar. Like, you know, I think the most I've ever paid for them was maybe $8. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, they're cheap and they're just, it's just interesting. It's a little like weird, it's a weird little, you know, relic of a, of a, of a time gone by. Just like me. Just like you, Rich. <laughs> You're a forgotten gem. Rich King, this has been lovely. Any closing thoughts on Turtles before we wrap up here? I don't know. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I don't know. I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, you probably aren't going to listen to me telling you to go see it. But like, it's it's a worthwhile movie. You know, it's a gritty it's a gritty to- uh, story about a, a family that is torn asunder yeah. by a it's it's the the everyday story of a, a family torn asunder by a a, a, a man with with spikes all over him <laughs> and, and, a, and a thing on his face. You know, who runs a weird crime ring with a bunch of teenagers. We've seen it before, sure, but you know. <laughs> Not quite, not quite not done a, this well. Also well. <laughs> no, it is surprisingly deep, and it holds up in repeat viewings. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in a while, and it really, really holds up. It's really a good film, and there's a lot going on. And it's been a joy to talk about it with you today, sir. Yes. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Rich King, everybody. God bless. God bless.